Hallelujah. Praise the name of Jesus Christ. Thank you for tuning in once again. This is our Freedom Streams program and I am Pastor Dennis bringing you wonderful teachings from the Word of God. And I know that if you have been following Freedom Experience Ministry, I believe that you are enjoying a lot of teachings that have got revelation and insight. This is for you to experience Christ in a practical and living way. And I trust the Lord that as you keep with us, we are going to find the Bible so meaningful because it has got life, life, light, grace, and reality for man's enjoyment. This is what we call the experiencing of Christ in his word. See, in the word of God, God has been declared, made manifest, revealed unto us. We need the spirit of wisdom and revelation to see uh, the kind of God that is in the scriptures. So we have taken enough time to bring you this wonderful series uh, of teaching uh, teachings that uh, that is uh, called God's Eternal New Testament Plan. And we need to experience and to understand this plan of God. When I use the word experiencing God, God's New Testament Plan, I'm talking about you understanding what is God's mind. What is God's heart's desire and purpose as to why is uh, dispensing himself into us as the believers. We have seen God and his person. We have seen God and even plain words. And now we are seeing this God even in parables. See what God wants us to understand. He gives underst- uh, parables to, to reveal certain, certain mysteries that we cannot understand but they are going to be understood if he illustrates a parable. So Jesus took time to to bring in more parables to give us an illustration of something that was hidden making it understood through parables. And we have seen some first five parables whereby God is explained and revealed to us in the New Testament. Now we shall proceed with uh, the sixth parable whereby we are now talking about this uh, the loving and receiving father in the parable of the prodigal son all of us we know this uh, parable because even in your primary school even in your secondary even in your infancy you heard of the prodigal son so what are we learning from this wonderful parable of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15 verses 11 to 35 32 now we might not read every verses in this parable, but we are going to pick some and you, re- you remember that uh, this is what we are talking about. So we see that in this parable, God is revealed as a loving and receiving father. He loves and because he loves, he receives. Remember, this prodigal son one time comes and says to the father, give me everything that belongs to me. I need my inheritance. Then he travels to a far country. The prodigal son gathered everything he, he received from his father and traveled into a distant country where he squandered his estate. He wasted his inheritance, living dissolutely. Verse 13. And after he had spent all of what he took from the father and had fallen into a severe famine, in verse 14, he became aware of his condition. He says, now I'm, I'm bad love. Now I'm done. 
and then he made some resolutions to go back to his father remember he first made a wrong decision and again he went in the depth the village there then as he was there starving he had to to do some resolution to go back to the father that is in verse 17 to 18 the bible says that while he was still a long way far off while he was still a long way off his father saw him and was moved with compassion and he ran the father ran and fell on his neck and kissed him affectionately that is verse 20 now you see that the father is the one that sees the son the son thought about and made some resolution I'll go back to the father the moment he had that in mind the father was ready to receive him despite what happened so the father seeing the son did, did not happen by chance maybe he was going out of the house then he glanced um, at a glance he saw the son coming no, we see that the father went out of the house to look for his prodigal son's return every morning he could go out maybe he's coming today and he kept, kept on waiting for the return of the prodigal son and when the father saw his son the Bible told us he ran to him and fell on his neck and kissed him affectionately. And this indicates that God, the Father, always runs to receive a returning sinner. He's not going to condemn you the moment you return. He will receive you. Some people that say, I've done a lot of wrongs. I don't know if, if God can accept me. Me, I don't, I don't get saved because he cannot save me. No, you are misjudging this wonderful father. He always runs to receive returning sinners. Glory to God. So, he is a loving father. And this is showing us the eagerness the father has waiting for someone to return to him. We see that the father's falling on his son's neck and kissing him affectionately. It shows warm and loving reception. The Father is going to welcome all sinners in a warm and loving affection. Praise the name Jesus Christ. He's going to give you a reception. The Father said also quickly quickly bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on, on his feet and bring the fattened calf, slaughter it and let us eat and be merry because his son of mine was dead and lives again, was lost and was found. This is Luke chapter 15 verses 22 to 24. Just see how the father is so much amazing. So, Jesus takes time to reveal to us such a father. Glory to God. And the Bible says in another parable, that is our seventh parable, it talks about uh, God being the, the unrighteous judge in the parable of persisting, persisting prayer. It gives us another parable of persisting prayer in Luke 18. And you read from verse 1 to 8. You see, um, let me try to read for you so that we may move together. Some of you, maybe most of you, you don't have your Bibles with you when you are listening to this devotion or this uh, podcast. Bible says in Luke 18, talks about the parable of the persistent widow. 
still this was Jesus. He says that he also spoke a parable to them to teach it is always right to pray and not to faint, saying a certain judge was in a certain city not fearing God, nor respecting man. The widow was in that city and she came to him saying, avenge me of my adversary. He says, and he would not do so for a time. But afterward he said within himself, Though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, that she not wear me down in the end. And the Bible says that, And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge says, and shall not God avenge his own elect, who cry day and night to him, though he has been long suffering over them. Praise the name Jesus. So, this story is revealing the unrighteous judge. The unrighteous, unrighteous judge refers to righteous God. It is so funny for us to think that God is an unrighteous judge in this story. But it refers to him. He is righteous. Verse 6-7 But the widow in verse 3 signifies the believers because we must find out what is the, the, the hidden meaning of this parable. And the unrighteous, unrighteous judge is unrighteous because he delays to answer, he delays to respond, he delays to help. When God delays to help, we sometimes call him unrighteous. Lord, you have not judged me fairly. But he's a righteous God. Although it takes time to answer your prayer, although it takes time to intervene in your situation, the widow here in verse 3 signifies believers. Now, in a sense, believers in Christ that are born again, they are a widow. In which way? In this present age, because their husband Christ, if you read 2 Corinthians 11-2, he is the husband to the believers. Zab sent from them. He went to heaven objectively. So the believers in Christ are, we see that they, they have an opponent which is Satan, the devil. Adversary. This widow had an adversary. The Bible says the widow had an adversary. So he could go to the the, 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 the judge to avenge. My husband is not with me. I'm a widow. I'm almost in that pitiful situation. Jesus is not around. You see, in the times of the apostles, Jesus was there. When they demanded tax, he could give them tax. When they demanded food, he could give them food. He was with them. When the storm came, they were in the boat. He was there. They were not widows. You remember, he says, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. But there are sometimes you think that, oh, maybe he has left me to suffer alone. So we are terming the believers as widows. And we have seen that the, the, the adversary is the devil concerning whom God needs to avenge. And sometimes we ask, Lord, why don't you deal with the devil once for all and we enjoy the world? Praise Jesus Christ. So, we ought to pray persistently for this avenging and we don't have to lose heart. And This is what Jesus is teaching us. Pray without giving up. Pray without ceasing. Pray persistently. Yes, I know there is an adversary. Keep on avenging. Don't lose heart. And this indicates in verse 8 that God is avenging for our enemy will be at the Savior's coming back. Right now, he might not deal with the Satan completely. Satan is going to be there as our adversary. 
roaring like a roaring lion, moving around like a roaring lion. But we are going to keep on praying because the Bible says, pray that we may not enter into temptation. See, it says, pray until Jesus comes back. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 6 to 9 shows us that he shall come back and he shall rapture us, he shall take us, we shall be delivered from this adversary. Praise the name of Jesus. So, this parable indicates that the suffering we have from our opponent, the devil, during the Lord's apparent absence, because objectively, Jesus is not here on earth. Elas is subjectively in our spirit, by the spirit, but we cannot see him physically. So he's absent. And during this apparent absence, we are like a widow. And our opposer is troubling us all the time. I have some believers that always ask me, Pastor, why is it that when we get saved, we, we, we run into a lot of troubles, we become poor, we begin to struggle? It's because we have an adversary. And that adversary will not give up on us. So we need to keep on praying because prayer will sustain us. So our opposer is always persecuting us. It seems that our God is not even righteous at all. There are sometimes you ask yourself, but God, don't you see what the devil is doing? God is as if he's not even caring. So you are you begin to wonder and say, maybe God, you are not righteous. How can you allow your children be unrighteously persecuted. We pray, we serve you, then we struggle. Some are chased out of their house for rent. Our children are not at school. God, you are not righteous. See, remember that we have an adversary. For example, there is this scenario in the Bible in uh, whereby John Baptist, the Baptist is beheaded. And then Peter was martyred, remember. Paul was in prison. John was exiled. These were close ministers and apostles of Jesus. But they went through these hard, hard moments. Whereby, even when Peter was jailed, he couldn't even pray. He was wandering up, saying, eh, God, what is this? I've been serving you. You sent me to preach and now I'm in prison. On Monday, I'm going to be killed. Praise Jesus Christ. So, Throughout the centuries, thousands upon thousands of believers, even today, even our lives, we go through things. We wonder why uh, things like the way they are. God is not fair. So, we have, have, we have had faithful followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. They have suffered unrighteously. have been persecuted. Even today, we are still undergoing unrighteous mistreatment. You are from serving God and you fall into troubles. Get some challenges. See, at such moments, it seems our God is unrighteous because it is as if he does not care. Since he does not come in to judge the situation, to vindicate us, and we call him the unrighteous judge, right? So, when our husband, Jesus Christ, is apparently absent, we are left on earth as widows. Temporarily, our God seems to be unrighteous judge. He's not intervening in our situations. Sometimes we wonder, we have prayed over the same thing for years. Why is it that God is not even like, merciful to respond to our prayer? Sometimes we ask, Lord, don't you care that we are praying ab- about this thing for this while, this much? Is the name of Jesus. So, the Bible is teaching us and Jesus is teaching us that 
Although he appears unrighteous, not responding at the right time, at the exact time, the Bible has told us, please keep on praying. Keep on appealing to him. Pray persistently. Bother him again and again. He will come. He will begin to say, okay, I think by this time let me respond. Hallelujah for that. So, on the one hand, we see that this parable indicates that the judge is sovereign. He has all the power. He can settle the case just like that. This means that whether or not the judge judges, it is up to him. Sometimes he says, I am the judge. I can decide not to judge. You cannot force me to judge. You see, these are the moments whereby God says, I see your situation and I don't want to do anything about it, but because I'm the judge. So sometimes we should come to such an awareness of the kind of God that we have. Like, it is up to him to judge us or not. So, sometimes it is without reason. You may either listen to the widow or not listen to her. Okay, you go back. I'll answer you tomorrow. Come another time. Wait. I'm, I'm kind of busy. Let me first do this. So, it is up to the judge. He is sovereign. This parable reveals that God is the sovereign Lord and that he judges whenever he chooses. You cannot force him to judge you. You can pester him and say, yes, I've hearkened and I've heard, but not now. Hallelujah. So, he judges when he chooses. And on the other hand, this parable indicates that we need to bother him. We need to pray. We need to keep on praying, reminding him, the Lord, we keep on praying persistently in this judge will respond. So this is the meaning of this parable and we all need to know God as as we see him revealed in this verse. Glory to God. I believe that you are enjoying these wonderful parables and what they typify to us. Let me see if I can catch another parable and we go through it uh, one, two, three. Then we finish by God's grace. I believe we can make only a another one because I see my time here is fast spent but let us try to see him as uh, a Jasper Stone and a Sardius we come to him now in this revelation the book of revelation he is calling himself a Jasper Stone and a Sardius now this item and the next two we are going to see are all figures in the book of Revelation to portray what God is in the book of Revelation. God makes his revelation known to us by signs. When you come across the book of Revelation, just know those are all signs. So they are not direct like they mean what they are exact what they are exactly, but they are signs pointing to something. That is by symbols. Symbols with the spiritual significance spiritual meaning. John received these revelations and and these were so divine and mysterious and they were profound. But they have got many aspects that no human words can explain. We can't even explain the entirety of the book of Revelation. So that's why the Lord had to bring whatever wanted John to understand through signs. And God through Jesus Christ made these revelations known to John by signs. When you read Revelation chapter 4 verses 2 
and 3, it says that there was a throne set in heaven and one sitting upon a throne. And he who was sitting was like a, an appearance of a jasper stone and a sardius. Now, according to Revelation 21.11, jasper is the most precious stone, clear as crystal. It is, its color must be uh, dark green, which signifies its richness because green typifies life, right? So, Jasper here is uh, we have seen as Revelation 21 11 indicates it signifies God's communicable glory in his rich life. Jasper signifies God's communicable glory in his rich life. In other words, God is free to communicate his glory to us and to provide us with this glory. Glory of God is communicable. You can communicate it. He can rather he can communicate it to us. He can in other words, he can minister it to us. We can enjoy it. And that's how we see the riches of his life. When you come back to John 17 22, I'll read the uh, and even verse 2. Uh, John 17. This is uh Jesus' prayer. It says in verse 22, And I have given them the glory which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. When you come back to verse 2, it says that even as you have given him authority over all flesh, so that he should give eternal life to all you have given him. In other words, the last God is so rich in glory, his glory is uh, communicable. He can share it with man. It is the appearance of God which will also be the appearance of the holy city, the new Jerusalem. And uh, the city's wall and its first foundation they are built with it, with jasper as this precious stone. Praise the name of it. It is rich in life. So you will read other verses in Revelation chapter 21 verses 18 to 19. And uh, what is this sadias? Sardius uh, is most precious stone in the color of red. Sardius is in color red, whereas Jasper is in color green. And uh, this one, as Sardius, is precious and it is red in color. It signifies redemption. Whereas Jasper indicates God as the God of glory in his rich life. Sardius signifies God as the God of redemption. So on the blessed place of the high priest, if you remember, in the book of Exodus chapter 28 verses 17 and verses 20, on the blessed place of the high priest in the Old Testament, the first stone was Sardius and the last was Jasper. Why is it that the first one was Sardius? It is because it typifies redemption. Priests could bring in the blood of redemption. Uh, to, to the holy of holies. And lastly, God would release his life, his richness in life. He could forgive. Praise the name of Jesus. So the last stone on the blessed plate of the priests was Jasper. See, they had stones on their blessed plate that they could put on. Now, you can find the details in the book of Exodus 28 verse 17 and even verse 20. Because of time, I might not read there. Now, this signifies that God is redeemed people. They have their beginning in God's redemption. We start 
with God's redemption. And after he has redeemed us, we have our consummation, our conclusion, our end in God's glorious appearance in life. He redeems us first, then he appears in glory to us as life for us to enjoy and to leave him out. Hallelujah. So, with these remaining two uh, uh, parables, I want to rush through them and I see if I can able to finish them in today's episode. Uh, there are some things that I cannot leave to start with them on, in the next episode like they are left with the two only. Number nine parable is the temple in the New Jerusalem. The temple in the New Jerusalem is in Revelation 21-22. It indicates that God is the temple in the New Jerusalem. It says that and I saw no temple there says, and I saw no temple in it. For its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. In the New Jerusalem, you're not going to find any other building that is called the temple. But God himself and Jesus, they are going to be the temple where we enter in and we fellowship. So the Greek word for temple in this verse is naios. And it does not de- denote the whole temple in a common way including the Holy of Holies and the Holy Place. Here it means it denotes the inner temple, the inner temple, the Holy of Holies. So there was no the temple, the other outward temple, but there was the Holy of Holies. Now this inner temple is the Lord God signifying that God will be the place in which his redeemed will dwell and serve him. It will be the place. Now, in the new Jerusalem, we shall dwell in God. God himself will be the dwelling place for all his serving ones. will be serving in God. Not in a certain other building. No, God will be the Holy of Holies. That's why John says, I saw no temple there. Yet I could see people serving. Hallelujah. So, number 10 is uh, the light in the new Jerusalem. God is revealing himself in parable as the light in the new Jerusalem. Revelation chapter 21 verse 23. We see that God is the light in the new Jerusalem. And the city, the Bible says, and the city has no need of the sun nor of the moon that they should shine in it. For the glory of God illumined it. Now that it lightened this city and its lamp is the lamp. Jesus as the lamp becomes becomes the lamp and in the lamp there is the light. God is the light. You see when you look into the picture of a lamp, you see that the lamp gives light. The lamp itself does not give light. But when there is this uh, a cloth that is connected to the fuel and it is going to give light as long as there is fuel in that lamp. So, you see that Jesus is the lamp and God is the light that is shining from the lamp. So, the temple of the city is God himself and the light is also God himself. Now, at this moment, most people are confused. Begin to wonder, everything is God. Everything we are talking about is God. It is because that is the truth. That's what God wants us to see. So the lamp as the lamp shines with God as the light to illumine the city with glory, with the glory of God. So the lamp is the lamp shining God as light. 
and God is shining to illumine the city with the, the glory of God and the expression of the divine light. Hallelujah. So because the divine light will illumine the holy city, there will not be need for the natural light like the sun. We don't need the moon because there will not be there will not be night. Don't need the stars. We we don't need the sun because these were all shadows and the reality is in Christ. So in the new Jerusalem we shall be in the reality. That's why there is no need for other uh, shadows like light, light from the sun. God himself is going to shine because God is light. Hallelujah. Because this divine light will illumine the holy city, there will not be need of natural light or of any man-made light. God himself will light to the holy city Jerusalem. Now, you see that in these messages we have considered many many aspects of God's person. We may have exhausted the entire New Testament in this matter, but as we consider all the aspects of God's person, we can see that this is the kind of God that is dispensing himself into us. Just imagine how rich we are. Because this is the kind of God. I said I'll take enough time to show you in details. The God that is in your spirit. He is all inclusive. He is everything. We can use him to meet all our life's need. I want to stop here. And I trust the Lord that you are blessed. May the Lord continue to shine upon you this light and revelation. That you may enjoy Christ with us. This is Freedom Experience Ministry experiencing Christ, Pastor Dennis Matov. God bless you. Please download our application Freedom Experience app. Be blessed.